Or if you have a Bible, uh, would love for you to open up to Deuteronomy, uh, which is uh, the fifth book of the Bible. Not too hard to find. Deuteronomy chapter 4. We'll be taking a tour through the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, not reading all of it, don't worry. But we'll be reading from some, uh, some highlights from some different chapters of the Bible. And you may wonder, uh, why Deuteronomy on a day like this? I think we'll find out. It's the perfect book to look at. Uh, for the occasion uh, at hand. Uh, again, so if you have a Bible, uh, just find your place there. And later on in the time, we'll be turning to 1 Chronicles 29. If you want to go ahead and put a bookmark there, just so it's easy to flip to, uh, we'll be ending our time together in 1 Chronicles 29. That's about uh, midway through the Old Testament, right before you get to Psalms. So not to, uh, too tricky to find. We'll be turning there. In a little while. Uh, so every year leading up to July 4th, uh, I always take time to read the Declaration of Independence. Maybe you read it more than that. If you do, uh, uh, that, that, that's, that's great. And, and maybe you don't really read it at all. And, and, and again, uh, you probably heard a lot from it. Uh, but I feel like as an American, as someone who's very blessed in America, I, I just think it's good to remember uh, kind of the origin story of our country and, and, and remember why this week is so important and why the, this, this time is, is so important. Uh, so uh, uh, every year I, I sit down, mainly because of my position here and, and, and the obligation and opportunity to speak to people like you, uh, to, to bring this under the, 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 the sound of God, the influence of God. Uh, every year I sit down to read the Declaration of Independence. It's not very long, so it's not a, a very lengthy read. Um, it, uh, of course, if you're not familiar, it was signed uh, by the early Congressional Assembly uh, uh, in our country. Uh, the list of assignees is at the bottom uh, attached to the Declaration on July 4th. 1776. And again, that wasn't the day that we became a free nation. That was the day that uh, the founders declared that we would be a, a free nation. And of course, the, the follow-up to that was uh, an outbreak of war and, and, and of course, the Revolutionary War uh, that, was, uh, that was won uh, by uh, the early uh, American army that allowed for the formation of our country. Now, the Declaration is one of those documents that even if you've never read it before, uh, you can sort of halfway stitch together a few lines from it. Uh, just like whenever we celebrate our Christian holidays, uh, you probably would never have to read Luke Two to know a lot of verses and words from Luke 2. Uh, just like with Easter time, there's verses uh, about Easter, of the story of Easter and the prophecies of Easter, that even if you don't know where they are in the Bible, you can quote some of them uh, just because of how kind of in the air they are and how often repeated they are. Um, but up until a few years ago, I got to be honest, I had never read the Declaration of Independence. I had heard quotes from it, some of the ones that you probably are familiar with, uh, but I had never read it. And, and I think most people, uh, maybe you read it in school, but you probably forgot got more than you remember, and, and that's kind of how those things go. Uh, sometimes we confuse the preamble of the Constitution with the Declaration of Independence, and, and, and they're, they're similar, but again, they're different documents. Um, but, but I had heard enough of it through the years uh, that I thought I had read the Declaration at some point, uh, but I sat down about 12, 13 years ago, and I decided I'm going to read this and really try to figure out what, what was behind it and, and what the words actually mean, other than um, the, the famous or the most famous quote that comes from it. Uh, so until then, uh, until I actually read it and I realized, wow, there's a lot of stuff in here that I had no idea was actually in the document. Uh, and uh, the, the, the most striking thing is now several hundred years later, uh, the document uh, that, that was written um, has influenced and shaped not just our country, but the whole world in such a tremendous way. And, and I think all of us uh, were familiar with what we assume is the beginning of it. It's actually the second paragraph. Um, we're all familiar with probably the most famous line of the declaration, which is the second paragraph, where the writers say, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal 
that they are endowed by their creator. And, and here's the, the first uh, revolutionary, you know, uh, fundamental concept that was built into not just the document, but our nation is that the founding fathers believe that every human being has value that is not determined by government. It is not determined by politicians, but that every one of us has value that has been determined by and preordained by God that you and I are valuable because God has said so in that he has created us in his image. And not just people in this country, but all people are valuable to God, created in his image. And that's the first kind of uh, big bullet point of the document that we are basing this, uh, this declaration on this reality that we believe that we are created by a one single sovereign God and all of us because of his subscription, because of his declaration are valuable. We matter. We have a significance and a purpose in this life. And government does not declare that. Politicians do not declare that. Wealth doesn't declare that. That. Social status doesn't declare that. Gender doesn't decide that. Race doesn't decide that. But every single human being made in the image of God is valuable because God says so. That is the first foundational point that our country was built on. And it took years and years for this to kind of really to bleed over into all that it meant and to, to whom all it was meant to, to, to stand for. But there in the beginning, the earliest days, that concept was baked in. Uh, but, but they go on. The, the truths they believe are self-evident that we all are endowed with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that, that we as, as creatures, you know, valued by God, we ought to be in a country. We ought to be surrounded by leaders and by laws that facilitate and that guide and that enable us to pursue not just life as in, hey, I'm just going to make it through, but abundant life, full life, life, liberty, freedom, individuality, and that we might find what true and real happiness or joy is. So uh, again, our founding fathers believed that we were ascribed this value and this opportunity by God himself. We have a shared creator and he has given all of us this significance. Now, from there, the writers of the declaration goes on to say, we all have awakened to, and, and, and they write that they have come to terms with that, this value that we all have, and that their understanding that God's will for all mankind, God's will for all people, is that we be free from oppressive rule, and to be able to pursue a joyful life that comes from knowing Him. Uh, therefore, uh, they, 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 they declare that we are not going to remain under the tyranny of the current government, the rule from England uh, that have they have zero representation uh, in and with them that they are not going to remain under the tyranny uh, but they are going to step out and the colonial leaders were saying to the motherland we are going to establish our own government wherein the voices of our people can be heard and represented and the values of all people be upheld. Uh, of course, England responded with a rather aggressive, not so fast, uh, and, and a war broke out, which American, uh, America would emerge from with independence that it claimed in advance. Now, of course, uh, from there, America would develop into and become the awesome nation that we still know it to be today. Uh, however, we need to have a quick word about how this actually happened. Because contrary to what you may have been led to believe, it didn't happen and it didn't come from a place of 
in a spirit of independence alone. Yes, the spark behind our nation was the idea that every human should be free from tyranny and oppression. Every person should be able to have a life where they exercise their free will uh, to the extent that it leads to a life of fullness and happiness. In fact, the very last paragraph of the Declaration actually contains the secret that literally never gets talked about. Probably because, well, nobody's actually read the last paragraph, which is how it usually works with these things. We've read the the beginning of it, and we kind of taper off at the end. Uh, But thankfully, we have a big screen uh, that allows us to put the whole thing or the the last paragraph on display so we can look at it together. And I'm telling you, the first time I read this uh, about 12, 13 years ago, I was shocked at what I read, and I could not believe that it was in there. But in there is the secret, the true secret, how America became the nation that it is and how you and I know the awesome opportunity that we know, mainly because it seemed, it seemed and initially when I read this, it seemed so contrary to what every other part of the document was saying. But once you process it all, it actually makes a ton of sense. So look up here with me, and I want you to re- look at one of the most important paragraphs pinned on American soil. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general, Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of God of the world for the rectitude of our intentions. So in this last paragraph, they say, this is our intention of how we might you know, use our freedom and how we might leverage the freedom that we are aspiring for. This is what we intend to accomplish by this declaration and by this establishment of a new in our own nation. What we intend to do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right all to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from the allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. That as a free and independent states, and then they list a few things that independent states ought to be able to do, to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right to do. So our intentions are to establish a nation that gets to do what it has a right to do, what it has a God-given right to do, which is exercise freedom and freely make decisions that, that benefit um, its people. But, but when, when I say, and when we say, well, this is what our rights are, these are what our rights are, this is what my right is, Everybody here has a different idea of what we have a right to do and what we should do with our freedom, what we should do with our rights. You may say, well, hey, if I I have the ability to make my own decisions and do my own thing and and go wherever I want to go, this is what I will do. And, And someone else might disagree with you. But the founding fathers knew that they could not just leave it there. That if they left it there, then there would be just a myriad of different directions that people would take. And that even with the government trying to steer the ship, people would just kind of do what they want to do, which is what happens a lot, not just in this country, but every country. So the founding fathers decided that they would add one last sentence before they signed their names. That I think best captures their intentions and best explains why our country has been the great nation that it has been and also reveals how our country, any country, can maintain that status of greatness for generations to come. So here's what they say. For the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, which is just their fancy way of saying God, 
we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. I want you to let the the gravity and and the weight of that statement, that sign-off statement sink in today. That honestly deserves as much spotlight as the other quotes that we celebrate and quote this time of year. What, what, What you see are, make no mistakes, this sentence reveals the secret ingredients of America's success and America's greatness. That we might would be a nation that allows people to find true happiness that is available to all. The founding fathers vision for America was that and the dream they had that was that having been given this gift, having been endowed by God, the gift of freedom and individuality, we vow, don't miss this, we vow to choose a life of reliance on God and a life of dedication to one another. We vow to use our independence to declare our dependence on God and declare our dedication to each other. Again, I'm not, I didn't write this, right? Some people wrote this hundreds of years ago that since we are a free people and as a free people, what we are going to do with our freedom is to declare our reliance on God and pledge to one another our lives. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? Now, I'll break this quote down. They are saying that we will use this freedom to submit ourselves to God and, and, and submit ourselves to one another. And and isn't that incredible? That America is a free country, a nation of independence, but that alone is not what makes our nation great. It's what many Americans choose to do with that freedom that has allowed our nation to rise to true success and be a place that everybody wants to come to. And listen, what makes this stand out all the more is that there are plenty in this nation that do not choose this path and they are free to not choose this path. But the founding fathers made it very clear, this is our intention with this freedom that we declare and that we are willing to die for. We are establishing this nation so that the people that come after us could choose to use their freedom. Use their freedom unto a life of reliance on God and a life of kindness toward one another, towards others. They're the ones. And come on, isn't it true that throughout American history, the people we remember... The people we remember are the people that do this, the people that give their lives for a greater cause, that give their lives uh, for those around them, that give their life for the kingdom of God. In America, you can choose to live the life that you want. You can live a life of self-gain and selfishness, and you can enjoy a rich and full life. But the only person that remembers that kind of person are the people that get the stuff they leave behind. And if that's the route that you choose to take, then more power to you. But the founding fathers knew the ones that will be remembered forever, the ones that will be celebrated forever, the ones that will make the greatest difference in the kingdom of God will not just be ones that live for themselves and then die to themselves, but those that use their freedom, use their freedom to rely on God and live on behalf of, in consideration of one another. So they declared, They were championing freedom 
so that it could allow people to choose a life of dependence on God and dedication to one another. So maybe, maybe, and, and this might be sacri- you know, not sacrilegious, but this might be a little bit uh, uh, much for, uh, for the holiday, but maybe an alternative title for this famous document that gave birth to our free nation should be the declaration of dependence to God and dedication to others. I know it doesn't have as nice of a ring to it, but there's alliteration at least. A declaration of dependence to foreign rule, but a declaration or a declaration of independence from foreign rule, but a declaration of dependence and dedication to all that will be a part of this great nation. America was founded as a nation where everyone could freely choose their path, but it was always intended to be a nation where everyone chose dependence on God and dedication to their neighbors. Because just imagine, and I know this is ideal, but just imagine a world where everybody did this. Imagine a nation where everyone did this. If we all put our faith in God, our focus on God, and we would never dare harm one another. We would never dare do things to the, to, to the damage or detriment of one another. If we put God first, we would all be finding a life of true purpose and true fulfillment. We would be the best version of ourselves. And if we all looked after each other, there'd be no one, not even us, that would ever be left behind. We'd all have each other's back. I know that sounds ideal and maybe that sounds too communal, but that's exactly what the founders intended. Their intentions of independence were never to promote some rugged self-sufficiency. But it was always to create a world, to create a world where everyone was on their knees before God with an arm stretched out to each other. That is what the declaration was always all about. In fact, in the days and months after this, the founding fathers came up with a a motto that's still printed on your coins. Of course, in God we trust is on there, but that's in English. But in Latin, you'll find the phrase e pluribus unum, which is translated out of many, one. Again, evoking this idea that we belong to each other. We belong to God. And as his children in this nation, that of course, not everyone's gonna believe. Not everyone's gonna buy into this. Not everyone's gonna choose this path. And that's their right. But those that want to aspire to what the founders intended and those that want to find what God intends, more importantly, they will see that dependence on God and dedication to their brothers and sisters, to their neighbors, that is where true greatness is found. And, And come on don't think for a minute that they weren't inspired by the word of God. Romans 12 says, so though we are, though we are many, we are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. And again, not everyone's in church, not everyone's a Christian, but the founders didn't care. We are going to live as if everyone is or might become our brother and sister in Christ. That is what our goal is. That is how we're gonna model this nation. Not everyone might buy in and that's okay. Even the leaders don't always buy in, but our vision that we depend on God and we dedicate to one another, it's strictly inspired by the model of the local church. As it is, there are many parts, yet there's one body. And there's many more that could have inspired them. The idea of being a nation full of people who use their freedom to surrender to God and serve one another, this was the prescription for success that God gave to the ancient Jews, to the ancient Israel when they were first getting established. And again, this had to have inspired the founders of our country. 
One of the first five books of the Bible is really all about this, and that is the book of Deuteronomy. The whole book is essentially a farewell address by Moses, prepping the people before they enter the land. And more specifically, before they establish the government, and he preps them that they might would not just arrive in the land, but remain in the land for ages to come. So Moses sat down with the 70 elders appointed for Israel, uh, and he gives them the rundown on, the, on how they might realize the long-awaited dream to be a nation under God, a nation that is for people, that puts people first for the good of each other. You, you could almost give Deuteronomy a subheading, how to make and how to keep a nation great. You thought that was something someone came up with a few years ago. This is something that's been around for a long time. The book of Deuteronomy is the book in the Bible that if any nation, any leader wants to truly make their nation and their land great, all the secrets that you could ever need are found in this book. Now, Deuteronomy 4 is the first passage I want us to look at today. And I want you to listen to how Moses immediately gets the attention of the elders and of the people. Verse 1 through 4. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which God, the Lord God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are surely alive, every one of you. So Moses makes a powerful point. While they were journeying through the wilderness, the children of Israel were woefully underpowered and were woefully outnumbered by enemy camps and other nations they encountered. Yet time after time, God gave them victory. They were the underdogs totally at the mercy of God's intervention, reliant on his supernatural means. And every time they came up against the enemies, whether at Peor or Moab or Bashan and others, every single time God brought them through. And the reason why is as he says, you held fast to the Lord. See, from the moment from the moment they came out of Egypt, they were free, but it was their submission to God that gave them victory. They did not just walk out of Egypt and say, now we get to do whatever we want to do. We're free, we're free, we're independent. Don't tell me what to do. They were a people that yes, they were free, but they used that freedom and they leveraged that freedom and they channeled that freedom to depend on and submit to and surrender to God. They were not so foolish to think they could lead themselves and guide themselves. They surrendered to the God that gave them that freedom. That's what they used their freedom for. And that's what any successful nation must use its freedom for. God wants Israel to never forget this, as verse 4 underscores. You who clung to the Lord, you held fast to the Lord, and that's why you're alive today. And let, that's why we remember them to this day. Verse 5. Let me just say a word. We know the story how many people died in the wilderness, right? A whole generation of people. Moses survived. Uh, uh, Joshua survived. But many people died. But don't you know that nobody remembers the people that died? But you remember the ones that lived. 
The ones that died did what they wanted to do. They were free and independent and strong-willed, and nobody could tell them otherwise. But nobody remembers them. Look at verse 5. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me. Moses talking. That you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. The basis for every commandment was a deep, exclusive faith in God. The basis for every commandment, that there is one God and you alone, he alone should be worshipped. There is no other God besides him, next to him, anywhere near or close to him. Worship him alone. Verse 6. Therefore, be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So what makes the nation great? It's faith and dependence on God. Verse 7, for what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us for whatever reason we may call upon his name. So again, what made the nation great? Their faith in God and their communication to God and their reliance on God. Verse 8, and what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day? Again, what made them great? They depended on God and they listened to what he said they should do with the freedom he gave them. What makes a nation great? Not economic prosperity or military prowess, but a deep, exclusive, renewing, and sustained reliance on God. Moses declares that Israel would be unrivaled by all their nations as long as they remain under God, under God's law, governed and guided by his law. And that's why if you read many of the songs written in these days, they don't sing about the victories as much. They don't sing about the freedom they had as much, yet you find them singing about God's law and God's rule and God's guidance, which is a really odd thing to sing about. Nobody wants to come to church and sing about laws and rules. We want to sing about the blessings that God gives us, and those things are great, and they should be sung about and praised about. But if you read the Old Testament, many of the songs written and sang in these days were about how they were thankful they had the chance to submit to a God who cared for them and had good things intended for them. Famously, the longest song that was written, Psalm 119, says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is with me forever. Again, they were thankful that they had a God who would rule them and guide them that they could submit to and could find leadership from. You can read over and over again in Deuteronomy, and basically we get the same message on repeat. However, over in chapter 8, if you'll turn there, Moses gets more and more detailed about the importance of faith in God and he talks about what it looks like contrasted to what it doesn't look like. Listen to Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3. Every command which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord God, Lord your God led you all the way these, these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, as in where it came from and how it got there, yet it was there every morning. 
that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord, as in God's guidance and God's rule. God wired them for 40 years to be totally dependent on God, on him. See, by default, our nature By default, we lean on and we begin to live by this world's bread. There's a lot of bread in this world. Power, provisions, and everything in between. This world has a lot of bread to tempt us and to to lead us with. And by default, we begin deriving our worth from and our value from and our purpose from, our direction from. We organize our lives around. We base our next move off of what the world gives us on its plates. And it's easy. It's so natural to live this way because the bread, the power, the systems of the world that we rely on and lean on, they give us a foothold. They prop us up. They make us feel important and they propel us forward. But what had God literally taught Israel during the wilderness? Every single day, he would sit them in his lap and he would spoon feed them from heaven to remind them, where does your help come from? It comes from me. They literally woke up every morning outside the tent. There was just enough for the day. No more, but no less. You see, church, this is what our founding fathers were signaling in the declaration. Let us not forget who has given us this opportunity and this freedom. It is not at our disposal. It is for God's glory. And they knew unless they put this banner, unless they hang this over the entire nation, we would be as prone to corruption as the monarchy we were leaving was. They wrote it down in a document we are still talking about today. And sadly, the part doesn't give much airtime because of course the enemy loves to drown out the part that talks about where true greatness is found. Again, not from self-sufficiency, but from dependence on God. Think about, think about how easy it is to default to my will and my way on any given day in any given situation. What if we were as quick to confess our dependence on God as we were to cling to our independence and freedom to do whatever we wanted to do? How many times have you responded to someone that tried to tell you what to do? I am free. I can do what I want to do. And that's fine. You can. Nobody can tell you what to do but you. And sometimes we don't even listen to ourselves, right? We are quick to remind everyone that we, 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 I, I, I can do what I want to do. And you can. But what if we were more so quick to confess our dependence on God and let that determine what we do with the freedom that we are so blessed to have? What if instead of doing what feels right, we did what is righteous? Because there's a difference. One is from the flesh. One is from the spirit. One will lead to corruption. The other will lead to a true and sustained life of peace and prosperity. Look down at verse number seven. I want to read through the end of this chapter. I want you to just kind of get a a load of, of, of what God says to the people. 
For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, and it flows out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat, of barley, vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and a land of honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. Sounds pretty good, especially to the ancients in a world where they had nothing but what they had in front of them. In another place, the writer says, a land full of these things that you had nothing to do with, but were laid out for you on a silver platter. Verse 10 is a big monumental verse. If you can memorize it, verse 10 and 11 are so big. When you have eaten and are full, because who wouldn't get full out of all that? I mean, hey, if you've got a cupboard full of stuff, why not eat it? If you've got a, mo- a pocket full of money, why not spend it? If you have these things, why not enjoy these things? Of course, of course. When you eat these things and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command you today. Beware, lest when you are full that you forget. Verse 12, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, when your herds and your flocks have multiplied and your silver and gold has multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Beware, lest as free as you are, and as blessed as you are, and as prosperous as you are, and as sufficient as you are, beware lest you forget where it came from. Because it did not come from a place of independence. It came from a place of dependence on God. It did not come because I worked hard or I earned. It came from a place of God, kind and generous and out of his abundance, pouring it out for people like me and you. He enabled you to do what you did, yes, but it came from. And beware lest we forget. Verse 15, he led you through the great and terrible wilderness in the, in the, where there were fiery scorpions and serpents. The thirsty land where there was no water brought you, brought water for you out of the flinty rock. He led you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that you to, uh, to, to, that um, he might humble you and he might test you to do good in the end. Beware that you say in your heart, my power and my wealth, my might, the might of my hand has gained me this wealth. Beware. Oh, wow. Beware. Well, it was my power and it was my might. It wasn't. You, you see, you and I know, you and I know where the power came from and where the might came from. 18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power and to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Then it shall be if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. Well, here's the good news, right? This was just to Israel. No threat to us, no concern to us, right? You can't ever leave a verse off. Verse 20. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so shall you perish. You mean God holds every nation to this standard? 
You mean every nation is held to this standard, even if they know it or not? Moses does not stop here. He actually shows them how they might put into a practice a lifestyle that is becoming of these great blessings that helped encourage and exercise the notion of submission. Now, we've looked at this recently in a night service uh, because I've been preparing for this. It kind of bled over. But I want you to turn over with me to Deuteronomy 10. We're going to read through some verses very quickly. So here's what Moses comes up with. He says, listen, guys, we need to put into practice certain habits to where we will be always mindful of where our blessings come from and where our power and might came from. We need to put into habit some practices that will help us remember because we are all prone to forget. Now you may say, well, I'll never forget. And the last guy that did that was Peter. And he said, I'll never deny the Lord. And he did it three times. So if something in you says, well, I don't need a reminder. I don't need habits of practice. Maybe you're the exception, but I would imagine that all of us need these reminders. So over in Deuteronomy 10, Moses, and again, this might be too much for you. This might be beyond what you could ever think you need, but Moses thought they needed it and he thought he needed it. He thought Israel needed it. So I think we probably could use it. Now, Israel, what does the Lord require, the Lord your God require of you? And I don't think it's wrong to say, now, oh, America, what does the Lord your God require of you? And I especially don't think that it's wrong to say, oh, now, church, what does the Lord your God require of you? Fear the Lord, walk in his ways, love him and serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And to keep the commandments of your Lord, of the Lord, his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest of heavens belong to the Lord your God. Also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them. He chose their descendants after them. You above all peoples as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff necked no longer as in, hey, Remember your tendency to to forget. This is a hard issue. For the Lord your God is a God of gods, Lord of lords, great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and takes no bribe. And then he says he administers justice to the fatherless and the widow or the orphans and the vulnerable. He loves the stranger or the foreigner. He gives him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were once strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise. He is your God who has done, these, done for you these great and awesome things which your fathers, which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt as 70 people, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven and the multitude. So do you see what Moses does here? Now that, so that we won't forget, remember those below you, beneath you, less fortunate than you. Why why does he do this? Remember your neighbor. Remember the fatherless, the widow, the stranger, the foreigner, the poor, the afflicted. What is he doing here? The best way to remember that all they had was from God would be to mimic God's generous nature, giving to others as God had given to them. Do you see that? The best way for them to remember what God had done for them was to mimic God's kindness and God's generosity. 
And this would ensure that Israel would be a great nation that never forgot. So, Israel's greatness would be determined by their dependence on God and their dedication to one another. Exactly what the founding fathers wrote at the end of the declaration as was their intentions of establishing a nation in line with God's will. It's clear what was inspiring them, isn't it? We could turn to the New Testament and we could find so many other passages that build off this Old Testament template. Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Galatians, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out, beware that you not consume one another. Beware lest you become, begin to compete with each other and tear each other down and vilify one another, and demonize one another, and segment one another, and put everybody in their own corner. Beware, beware, beware. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? The the American spirit as was lit by the founding fathers took notes from the book of nation building itself. But this went farther. This went farther, and just to give you a taste of it, it's so incredible. God would tell the nation of Israel. Again, you might say, well, I don't know about this, but this is what God told Israel. So I'm just, I can't, I can't not share it with you. God said, Israel, I want you to understand that I am a God who is a forgiving God and a God of second chances. So I want you to build cities in your nation where people who have committed the worst and most atrocious sins can run to those cities and find refuge and protection from retaliation. Cities of refuge. And if the person who seeks revenge comes into that city and enacts revenge, they're the one that's going to pay the crime, not the person that did it in the first place. Isn't that wild? Every 50 years, they had what was called a jubilee year, where all the debts were washed away, where every property that was swindled from people was given back. You say, that's not financially sustainable. When everybody's on board, that's what matters most. When everybody isn't chasing after their own kingdom, that's what actually builds up God's kingdom. God established a nation that was always erring on the side of grace so that the nation would never forget how their story began and where their strength was from. So he established these radical principles to showcase grace to one another that nobody would ever question where their favor was from and where they would continue to get it from. The rest of Deuteronomy is all about repeating these ideals. And, and, and later on in Deuteronomy, there's a system that is introduced that I won't, we won't read it, but there's a system introduced that is literally meant to manufacture this dependence on God and dedication to each other. Now you're talking about a nation that was poor and was barely going to have ends meet once they got established. And, and God introduced to them a system called first fruits tithing. And he would say, hey, I want you to bring to me the first fruits from everything you have. 
And it wasn't just 10%, it was really like 17%. I want you to bring from me, from your harvest, from your proceeds, I want you to bring it to me. And here's what you're gonna do with it. We're gonna provide for the temple. We're gonna provide for the priest and its workers. We're gonna give to the poor. We're gonna feed the hungry. We're gonna feed the widows and orphans and strangers. We're gonna build houses and places to take care of the people that once were like, that you were once like. You said, why would God do this? Because God was trying to keep them on their knees. Nobody would be allowed to hoard up. It would be a place, a way of constantly remembering God is our source. They didn't do this so they could bend God's arm for more, but they did this. This was established so that people would remain kneeled before God, open-handed, remembering where it came from and to whom it was given to them for. So you know what this system was all about and what it established? It established a people who vowed to not enjoy the plenty they had until they worshiped God and shared with others. That this was the system, this was what was baked into Israel. We're not gonna enjoy our plenty until we give to God and his calls and share with those around us. These things may sound radical, but Moses says, if you wanna be a great nation, this is what you'll do. Well, as you might expect, the nation of Israel started out in this path of greatness, but after a while, they drifted. They immediately began to forget one another, and slowly but surely, they began to forget God. They no longer lived a life dependent on God or dedicated to each other, and after a while, they had a king. He was great, and the nation was prosperous, and they didn't have any issues in the world. But when King David was ruling, the nation was so blessed, yet David had some personal issues and some personal failures that distracted the people. So David thought, I need to do something to remind the people how great we are, how blessed we are, how fortunate we are, and how fortunate they are. So David decides he's going to do what was rarely, really rare at the time, a census. And this census was going to get the attention of the people. It was going to get everybody to realize how much money they had, how much harvest they were bringing in, how good they were, you know, their lives were. And this census was essentially to prop the nation up and pat them on the back and say, wow, David's great, we're great, we're all so much better off, so let's not, let's give David an easier time. So the aftermath of this census was everybody was sitting back thinking, wow, we're so awesome, we are so self-sufficient, we are independent and strong, we don't need anybody, we don't need to help each other, we don't need to depend on the Lord, we have got it made. Now maybe they didn't say that in the same words, but that was what their actions suggested. But here's what the scripture says. God was displeased with this thing and he struck Israel. Pestilence, plague, economic crisis. And it woke David up. And David realized, wow, I led us astray. We were the richest, most successful nation in the world, but that didn't mean anything because we had forgotten where it came from. So David vows to lead the nation back to God. David finds a perfect spot to build a temple that, would pe that people would come to worship God and would, ministry would be operated out of. He finds the perfect spot and pays the perfect price. And he spends the rest of his life preparing for his son to step into his shoes and build this temple and establish this cornerstone for the nation. At the end of David's life, he gathers the nation on the temple grounds and he leads them, not really in a worship service, but he gives them a speech, a farewell address, if you will. 
And that's what's found in 1 Chronicles 29, if you will look over there with me as we close. This was David's last sign-off, send-off of a statement that he believed would keep the nation great, would keep the nation on the right path. Therefore, David blessed, verse 10, David blessed the Lord before the assembly and David said, blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as a head over all. Both riches and honor come from you and you reign over all. And in your hand is power and might and in your hand it is to make great and give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you. We, as were our fathers, our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. I know also, my God, that you test the hearts and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me and the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all things, all these things. And now with joy, I have seen your people and who are present here to offer willingly to you. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, our fathers keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their heart towards you. Over the years, America hasn't always remembered what the founders intended. We haven't always remembered. Yes, they envisioned a nation that was free, but they never envisioned a nation free from dependence on God, accountability to God, charity and kindness to one another. That might be what some of America has become, hostile and competitive and ruthless, but it was never God's intent for any nation that aspires to be great. We are stewards of his greatness and his glory. May we never forget this. David reminds us that if we want to stay true to this and never miss a step, we must live a life. We must live our lives kneeled before God alongside of one another. We must use our freedom, a rare gift to have on this earth, to declare our total dependence and reliance on God and continually bring to him and his calls from our abundance that we might always remember where it came from and why it comes to us. The world may make you feel weak for doing this because so many of you already live this way. But don't fall for the politics of it all. Don't take your eyes off the true path to greatness as determined by God himself. Verse 15 is so powerful. We are aliens and pilgrims before you, God. Our days on earth are but a shadow. We are so fortunate to be able to spend our short lives on this soil. Let's not waste it. Let's make the most of it. Let's look up to the one king. Let's look around to those made in his image that we are alongside of. Let's fix our hearts on him forever. This is how America and any nation for that matter. This is how America can be great and can stay great and accomplish great things until kingdom comes. Down in verse 20, David says, he commands the people, bless the Lord your God. I think it would be fitting for us to do this before we leave. 
I've taken some verses, verse 10, 12, 10 through 12, and added a few things up here on the screen. I would like us all to confess these things together. As we do often, I'll read a line, and I would like for you all to read this line after me. I believe this is appropriate for us to do as Christians, as Americans, with this great gift of freedom. Let us declare to God this day that we will be reliant on him and that we will be mindful of where our blessings come from and that we want to pave the way for a future generation to stay on that same path before God. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory. And the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God. And praise your glorious name. Today we declare our dependence on you, O God. We dedicate our lives to you and to one another. In your honor and for your kingdom's good and gain. That is what makes a nation great. And that is what can change the world. When a people like us, like many around the world alongside of us, declare their dependence on God in their dedication to those around them. That's what started this nation. It's what's continued this nation's success. And that's the secret to any nation in any people group, pleasing God and building toward his kingdom. Church, thank you so much for being here with us today. I pray that God would bless each and every one of you. He would order your steps this week. And I pray that as we move forward, let us make this declaration boldly every single day. Let's not forget where our strength comes from and why it has come to us. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this awesome day that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, uh, that you've allowed us this platform and this privilege. Lord, I'm sure there's many here today that uh, they want to make a, de a declaration today. They want to take a new step. Uh, they want to use their lives for your glory. They want to leverage their freedom to depend on you. And they want to leverage their freedom to live a life dedicated to those around them. Lord, as we sing this last song, as we amplify and magnify your name, 
Would you spread out through your spirit in this house and would you stir the hearts of your people? If there's anybody here today that needs to make a new, make a, a, a fresh start, need to turn something over to you and ask forgiveness, Lord, they find grace wherever they come to you. Lord, if there's somebody here today that needs to admit that they've been doing it their way and not your way and they want to get back to the place where true greatness is found, Lord, would you use this invitation to remind us all where we all find our strength from and how we might be a great people for generations to come. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.